Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help, and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There is no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, political organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, nor endorse nor oppose any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions, or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up that first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, so for anyone who's just joined us, you are listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Monique and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is the 24th of April 2020. Hi Monique, well it's lovely to have you here. Um, uh, Monique, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe um, uh, roughly age, maybe what you do. Okay, so I turned 50 this year and um, I am a registered nurse. Oh, fantastic. And uh, family, married, anything like Uh, that? I have two um, adult children, they are 26 and 24 and I've been married for about 20 years. Oh, wow. So it's a second marriage. Great stuff. Yeah. Hey, so, um, Monique, tell us about, you know, life for you growing up. What was your childhood like? 
Um, we sort of, I don't know, 80s, you, you used to roam and do whatever you want. And um, I had, my parents were um, hardworking people. My mother's a Scottish lady and my dad, obviously a New Zealander. Um, my mother loved to drink and she worked full time. And we came from a very small town where to have a mum that worked full time was quite uncommon. Um, and I have three older sisters and a twin brother. So our house was always full and busy. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's what you see on TV, those 70s and 80s where you're riding your bike and hanging out and then every goes, everyone goes home for dinner. That's kind of how it was growing up, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Right, riding my little uh, rally 16 with, oh. my, with my stubby shorts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, that sounds like a, you know, a great childhood. But uh, um, look, at some stage, drinking came into it. Can you remember your first drink? What, what was the very first drink you can recall? I think life changed for us. My dad died when I was 10 and he had a short illness. And then my mum was always a heavy drinker. So life changed quite dramatically in the sense that my older sisters moved away and then it was my twin brother and just my mum. Mm. And she, I don't know, she tended to drink. I didn't notice it when I was younger, but when I got older, she drank at night on her own. And there was always that, um, and she drank sherry, God bless her, and <laughs> the flagons. And there was always that there. So I used to take a nip of that mm. when I was about 13, 14. Mm. And then um, I would get together with friends when we were like 14, 15, and we would all put our nips of whatever we had got from the liquor cabinets, and we called it rocket fuel, and get drunk like that. And it yep. didn't take much, but that's kind of where we started. And I, that's probably where I started drinking, like mm. just little bits and pieces, not consistently. Um I'm a binge drinker. I was not a consistent drinker every day and I would drink large amounts. I was a heavy drinker from a really early age. Right. And what did it do for you? I mean, in those early stages when you were drinking? I thought I was invincible and really um, awesome when I drank. It gave me a glow from the inside and I could do anything and everything. Because general rule is I had three older sisters that were all very heavy you know, big personalities and I was always the quiet sister. But when I drank, I felt like I was amazing and that I had a big personality and everybody liked me. But when I didn't drink, and even in my later years, um, I'm quite shy and reserved in some manners. Mm. And um, it sort of, that made me almost like I had a freedom to be who I really wanted to be. Um, That's sort of what it did for me. It gave me this, I don't know, alter ego maybe. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So um, at some stage, though, uh, you, you know, things started to change and uh, some consequences, I imagine, started to sort of creep in. Mm. What did that sort of look like for you? How did that manifest itself? So my mum died when I was 18. So that kind of uh, New Zealand government classified me as an orphan. And I think going forward from there, I heavy drank from the age of probably about 19 to 21. And then I got married and had my first baby by 22. And I didn't drink very much. I would binge drink once every four months. And, you know, that was it for a really long time. But it crept in. I changed jobs um, in my mid-40s. I was a registered nurse and I had worked in the private sector and I had gone to my dream job. And in my dream job, I had um, struggled with a lot of the things that we do. So I worked in neonatal intensive care and Mm. that's a 
you know, you have a lot of social stuff that goes with that job. And my thinking around drinking changed. It mm. Suddenly it became, um, it wasn't just every two weeks I'd binge drink or whatever. It was every day off I would start thinking about it at seven o'clock in the morning on my last shift. Right. And it might have been a Monday and I was calling it, it's my Friday, <laughs> it's my Friday. And I would sing that all day for a 12-hour shift and I would start thinking about my first drink. Mm. And I was already drinking my first drink on the way home and planning my day. And it got to the point where I would have to sober up the day before I go back to my shift work and that became my routine and it was my children that intervened and it was right. my children that noticed it. So I probably, yeah, that's sort of where my it started to change for me. Yeah, so the family relationships obviously um, a big impact. Huge, huge. I'm extremely close to my children um, and it was very easy for them to tell me you know, do an intervention and then I had rules around drinking and I broke every single one. I wasn't allowed to drink alone and I would FaceTime because in my head I wasn't drinking alone, I was talking to a friend. Mm. Um, and it was probably a year of doing that and and having that in my life and the constant in the back of my mind, oh, well, you know, it's only a drink. Who cares? Mm. It's only a drink. Who cares, you know? Um, but if I go back and I read my journals, it probably started a lot earlier because when I read my journals that I had from five or six years before, it's like, I wish I could just have one drink. Yep. I wish I wouldn't drink or finish what was on the table. I wish I could leave that bottle of wine. And it's all throughout my diaries that I had over a period of five or six years before that. So it had started before I realized it had started. Mm. It was already there. Yeah, totally channeling you with that one. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so, you know, family, that was a big one. Were there any other consequences? Did you actually get in any trouble, say, at work or the law or things like that? No, no. Mm. My rock bottom is probably, compared to some's, they would say that was where they started. But for me, my that's my rock bottom. I didn't have any, I didn't drink and drive. I didn't do any of that, but I did isolate terribly. Mm. I isolated and I'm a very friendly person, but I isolated and hid and I hid everything. I had bottles, I had, you know, I had feelings, I stuffed them down. So yeah, my rock bottom compared to a lot of um, friends in my AA people um, is quite different and that's okay. You know, it's what my rock bottom was for me. Totally. So um, I'm imagining now, you know, you're just about to go to your first AA meeting what has brought you to that point? How are you feeling? What's going on for you? So the night before I went to my first AA meeting, we had gone into our first lockdown in 2020. Mm. So my sobriety date is the 24th of April, 2020. Um, and I obviously had been drinking the night before and did a group, <laughs> a group chat with my sisters and ended up having this big fight. And I can't even remember how it started or how I got there or what happened. Um, but the next day, the guilt, always the guilt after you drink, that guilt feeling of, oh, God, what did I do? Where was I? Mm -hmm. You know, I was at home and I still had that guilt feeling. Um, and then I sent an email to AA and they came back to me with a call. And then they put me on to a lady who's still my sponsor to today, um, who got me into a group that had just started called um, Word of the Spirit and it's a, um online Zoom meeting. It's It was at 7 then, but it's gone to 6.30 in the morning, mm. Monday to Sunday. Great. And that evolved. It was meant to be for short term and it's still there and I still go to that group very regular. 
So what was your experience, your first meeting? What oh, head down, shame. I cried. I think I cried for the first six months that I went to those meetings mm. and I went every single day that I could. And I just cried and I tried to understand. It takes a long, there's a lot of information at the beginning and it's it can be quite overwhelming. Um, but if you stick with it, you get it. it. It it slowly filters and then you get it. But at the beginning, the feeling of shame, um, you know, how did how did I get here? I'm an educated woman. I'm not silly. You know, how did it get to this point? And I just cried. I just cried. One of my great friends from the group who I see when I go up north, he um, always says, I remember those days when you first came, <laughs> you know, when you first came. So, yeah, you've just got to um, – it takes a while to get out of that feeling of shame and, you know, it's – yeah. Mm. And how were the people with AA? Um, because I did Zoom, <laughs> um, I had the safety of my own home. Mm. Um, they were really good, but I um, didn't trust easy. I, mm. I've never trusted easy. I've never trusted people very easily, um, and it took me a long time to trust. And I'm nearly four years in April, and I've only just started texting other women and being okay with that, mm. you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, they were great. They, they still are to this day. I get ra- random texts all the time from the women in different groups that I've been a part of. Yeah. Fantastic. And look, like you said, coming up, uh, you know, four years mm. in the not too distant future, what do you do to maintain your sobriety? Um, I think because Zoom has opened the world, I have American friends in there and I take little gold nuggets and tidbits that people that have had um, a lot of sobriety, like some of the same, some have had 50 years that I've mm. met, um, or, you know, they have little things that work better for me. I'm not very good with prayer. It's taken me a long time to get there. Um, but I write my prayers out in the morning mm-hmm. um, and I go to as many Zoom meetings of the WASP meeting as I can. Um, I, I'm working my way up. There's a Sunday meeting that I have a great friend that I'm, is persevering going to. Mm. Um, my first year of sobriety when we came out of lockdown, I did go to a meeting that fitted in with my roster. Mm. I didn't necessarily agree with the meeting, but I went because that's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, it was a very staunch, strong meeting, uh, male-dominated. Um, only a few females used to go to it. So... Um, it gave me good structure in the beginning and it gave me good insight to other things. And yeah, whereas the Sunday meeting, there's a really good mix in there and I don't have to go every day but or every week, but people are just welcoming no matter how you look at it, you know? Right, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned about prayer before and I think it's worth touching on uh, that, that, you know, when you first go into the rooms, you might see the the word God on the wall and things like that. It can be quite confronting for a lot of people. Uh, AA is uh, actually described as a spiritual program, not a religious one. What does spirituality mean to you? What's your, what's your interpretation? Um, I think when I first come in and you do see the God thing, you're like, oh, Jesus, now I'm like, what's going on? No, I have to do this. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Mm. It's suggested to you that, you know, you look at things a little bit differently than you may have grown up with. Um, the spirituality is a big thing for me now, and it's been a really huge, huge thing for me in the last six months um, due to I've got some uh, family stuff going on that uh, my oldest daughter has an illness that's terminal. Mm. So I need to pull from everywhere so that I don't put myself down a rabbit hole 
And, you know, I said to myself, it's okay to have that first drink. I need to be able to believe that all these things that are put in place for me are the right things. And if I didn't have good spirituality around that and good faith in that, then I would probably easily go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would have easily, um, first diagnosis, I would have just been at the bar, basically. And that that's scary. That really scary when mm. you have worked hard to be sober and see a different side to life. You know, my life is very simple. It's not chaotic. Before it was just jizz. It was chaotic. It was crazy. I used to include myself in everyone's fights. Mm. Whereas now... If it's got nothing to do with me, I stay out of it. And I'm very good at doing that. I don't, if someone tells me something, I'll say, did you tell that person? Because we shouldn't be discussing it. And I'm really straight on those things to keep my head straight, but also keep my heart straight. You mm. know, when you talk about somebody else, you're hurting, what is that doing to you talking about them? Mm. You know, so spirituality this year has been strong. Every other year it's been totally, in the background, but this year, extremely strong. I've really had to pull on a lot of things for myself this year. Oh, look, absolutely. And, and, and you know, a, such a, a difficult situation mm. for you and your family and, and uh, you know, for you to be maintaining such healthy sobriety. Awesome. And, um, hey, look, uh, uh, there are so many other parts about the program as well. Um, uh, sponsorship is, is a big one uh, where effectively somebody, for want of a better word, is kind of there to help guide or mentor you in certain respects. What, what, how is sponsorship working for you? I have a great sponsor. I've had her from right from the very beginning. Um, it's interesting. She changed sponsors during our time and that changed how she sponsored me. Um, I'm not the perfect AA. <laughs> there's some parts to AA I'm very bad at, um, but there's parts that I am really good at and she accepts that. Like she doesn't get down on me about it because I'm also a very... Um, strong-natured person, but I tell her everything that I can and I keep myself safe is the best way to put it. And, I, you know, she's a great guide for me. At the beginning, we worked very intensely for the first six weeks of sobriety and I would talk to her every day. And now I just talk to her once a week. I catch up and I talk to her. It could be about anything, if something's going on or anything like that. It's, yeah, She's, she's been really, really mm. good. And she always tells me that um, when the time comes, I'll know it'll be time to change from her, that I'll need something else. But my mum quite happy with her. She's been fantastic and she sponsors a lot of people and she has good sobriety. Awesome. Uh, Monique, you also talked earlier about um, uh, how, you know, you're sort of growing in the program, some of the things that you are sort of recognising in yourself that you maybe didn't see so much uh, earlier. What does your life look like today compared to when you were in, you know, the depths of your drinking? I think when you're in the depths, you you're very, um, it's about you mm. all the time. It's about you. If there's a problem, it was somebody else that did it. It's about you. Um, and I didn't realise how much of a me girl I was before. Whereas now I... I'm open up to other people's ideas. I used to be very black and white. I have a lot more grey in my life where I'm open up to if somebody suggests something, I'm okay to take it on board, whereas before it would be like, no, no, no. Um, and I live quiet. I, li I Best night is not going out drinking and getting ready to go out at five o'clock. Best night is 
put my PJs on, hang out with my cat, my husband, and watch a good movie. You know, that's so different from five years ago. So, so different. I would be like chomping at the bit to get out. You know, this time of year, we're coming up to silly season. Mm. Jeez, it's like, I call it Satan's asshole. It's the worst time because there's all the parties (laughs) and everything. And I would prep in November for all the parties my husband would get invited to. And I'd have the dresses and everything ready. I'm going to one party. I'm going to my own work do. Mm. And that's it. And I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. And that's enough for me, you know? Brilliant. Whereas before I'd go to 10 or 12, it's terrible. Exhausted by Christmas time. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, and look, Monique, finally, what would you suggest to someone who might be listening who suspects or thinks they might have a drinking problem? How, What sort of things should they look out for or be honest with themselves about? I think you just... If you think you do, then contact someone. You don't, you know, there'll be someone that can pick you up and take you to a meeting and you don't have to stay at the meeting. You just, you know, just recognise that something's not right with you and that you just might need a little bit of help. The meetings are scary at first, but it does get better. You just have to be able to trust that one person that they'll take care of you. And generally they do, general rule of thumb. People are pretty good in AA. Wonderful. Well, Monique, thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Pleasure. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there is one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that is your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant, grant me the serenity. serenity. To accept accept the the things things I cannot change, change, courage to change change the things things I can, and the wisdom to know the the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.